everyone let's call a timeout welcome to season two of the timeout a podcast series where we have intimate discussions with leading surgeons across australia about their lives and the various influences that got them to where they are today it's a chance for you our listeners to find out a little bit more about the human that lies behind the title and perhaps believe a little bit more that you can get there too my name's aiden and i'm a fourth year medical student my name's Ganesh, and I'm a third year medical student and will be your two co-hosts for the year. Alongside our promotions officer, Chloe, and editor, Noreen, we're really excited to bring you a new series of The Time Out in 2021. Let's get this operation started. My name's Ganesh, and I'm joined in studio today by Dr. Renu Epen, consultant urologist at Peter Mac and the Austin. She brings with her freshness, vitality, and an incredible career pathway so far. Amazingly, she's also a co-host of her own podcast series, GU Cast, which she will candidly tell us more about. Welcome to the show, Renu, and thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, Ganeshta, for having me on. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here today. Amazing. Our listeners and myself can't wait for how today unfolds. Now, for those of us in the audience who are sorting our logies from our etrics, would you like to start by telling us a little bit more about what your specialty entails? So I'm a urologist. Urology is it's a wide breadth of, of areas, really. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that, that attracted me to urology. My areas of specialization within urology are uro-oncology. So I deal with a lot of uh, cancer cases. My fellowship was in, in uro-oncology and robotics. But I also do a lot of functional urology. So I deal with men and women who have incontinence, uh, voiding issues. I sort of see a wide spectrum of, of urological cases, both benign and malignant. Excellent. And how long have you been in practice, Renu? I've been in practice for about three years now. I, I returned from my fellowship training overseas in 2017, and I joined the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and the Austin Hospital toward, in the mid, middle of 2017, and I've been practicing since then. Excellent. Well, there is a lot we will unpack as we get to some of your career, but at this stage, we'll get the ball rolling with some fan favorite warm-up questions. Are you ready, <laughs> Renu? <laughs> You're scaring me now, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through your day so far. How has it started and where are we right now? Okay. Well, today I, I'm, I started my PhD this year. So that's just the background to today, uh, which Fridays I, I generally keep for my PhD work. And so today started off as almost every morning does in the gym at 5.30. And then after that, I rounded on my patients that I operated on yesterday. And then after that, I went straight into a lab meeting and journal club. That was for a couple of hours. And then after that, I had a meeting with my lab supervisors for my PhD. And then here we are. And it's only 3 p.m. too. This begs the question of, is there such a concept as a break for someone who is as busy as you must be, Renu? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that a break is just something that, that you have to prioritize. It's really important and you just have to work into your, your day and schedule. So I am a great believer in that. I don't know how well I do it, but I, I definitely think it's important to, to incorporate uh, in, into your lifestyle, no matter what it is. You know, I love that concept of no matter what it is, because you don't have to copy something if it doesn't work for you. Relaxation is truly unique to a person. To delve further into that, some people love to listen to music and podcasts, while others love to read. Is there anything you're listening to or reading at the moment that you would like to share with us, Renu? Gosh, so you know, it's been a while since I've read anything kind of non-medical uh, related, but interestingly, I I take my little puppy for a walk in the dog park and there's another dog there and I've, I've gotten to sort of know the owner a bit and his name is Lindsay um, and he's in his 80s um, and they are moving out of their house and Lindsay over his life has got an amazing library. I mean, it is incredible. His books span all genres, fiction, nonfiction. And so because they're moving out of their home and moving into sort of a, a retirement village, he asked me if I wanted some of his books. And so I went and checked out his book collection and I brought back, you know, so many things that are just sitting in boxes right now. So, you know, now I've got the entire Lord of the Rings collection, the entire Harry Potter collection. Some of them are first editions. But I also picked up a few Patricia Cornwell novels. Um, I, I used to like reading a lot of crime novels. And I read a few Patricia Cornwell books, especially her Kayis Carpeta series, for those who know. And so I picked up a few of those. So I'm actually in the middle of reading some of them, which is, it's, it's nice. You are, without a doubt, living the dream of all the book lovers in the crowd, coming into a treasure chest of solid physical books from someone who has cherished them throughout their life. It's incredible to, I mean, and we now, we, nowadays we do so much reading on computers and, you know, iPads and phones that it's, it's just wonderful to, to get the smell of an old book again and uh, to dust off some of his books were, were just, it was just amazing. You mentioned some crime novels in that list of preferences, and that got me suspecting that you might be quite the budding detective. But if there were one such profession outside of surgery that you could try, Renew, what would it be and why? You know, I, I, I sort of go through phases where I think there's something that I'd love to do. But, you know, I think every job has its challenges. And I think that just sitting here and saying, oh, I'd love to do this, you sort of don't appreciate the challenges involved in that vocation until you're truly involved in it. So I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I think there are lots of things that I'd like to do, but would I love to do it as a career? I don't know. I, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And we are all inspired by the work that you're doing. And I think now would be a good time to then start talking about your journey, which got you to where you are. So starting with your childhood, where were you born and where did you grow up? So I was born in India, in a southern part of India in a state called Kerala. And the city I come from, Trivandrum, is right on the tip of the, of the kind of V shape of India. And so it was a coastal town. And so I was born there and I grew up there for the initial part of my childhood. I um, schooled there until I was in grade four, three or four. And then my family migrated to, to Australia and to Melbourne. And I've been in Melbourne ever since. So Melbourne really has been my home for, for the majority of my life now. I used to go back and visit everyone every two or three years while I was at school and 
now, you know, a lot of my cousins have moved away from India. A lot of them are in the States and unfortunately not, no one in Australia, but not as much fun going back now, but that's my childhood really grew up in India and then, and then came to Australia when I was, I was about nine years old. Yeah. And there would be some challenges that are quite unique um, to that, that you would have faced as well. But I'm wondering, what were you like as a child and teenager growing up? Were there any of those aforementioned challenges? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I was always a very shy child. I was always very timid. And the move from India to Australia probably increased my timidity for, for, for quite a while. It was hard to adjust to, we were in an English school, so the language wasn't too much of a problem, but the accent definitely was and understanding people initially was. So, and at that, at that age of nine or, you know, nine or 10, you're sort of at a very impressionable age and making friends can be difficult. And so I, I think I sort of kept to myself quite a lot when I was, when I was young I also had a lot of trouble in liking the food in, in Australia. You know, we always <laughs> used to take rice and curry for lunch and that that changed all of a sudden. So I, they were definitely challenges. And I have a younger brother and he is a couple of years younger than me. And it was amazing how well and how quickly he adjusted, but it took me just a little bit longer. So I, I think I was, I was pretty shy and I, you know, I had a close group of friends eventually um, and then going on into high school. But then after a while, and I, you know, getting through high school and then, and then medical school, I think I sort of came out of my shell a little bit in med school. And then it just sort of went on from there. And so I think, I think I've changed quite a bit when I look back to, to the initial years and around the time that I, that I moved to Australia. Yeah. As I think everyone does, you know, life, life does take you down interesting paths and, and you definitely change because of it. Yeah. And so was there any indication back then that you'd go down the medicine pathway? When I started seriously thinking about my career, I, it was quite obvious to me that, you know, I, I, had this, I had a keen interest in maths and sciences, but I also, I enjoyed being in the company of people and I liked that sort of interaction. My parents are both engineers and I come from a family full of engineers and, you know, a lot, a lot of people in IT and finance, my brother's in finance. So I, I kind of, initially thought that the engineering physics maths pathway would be where I would would head but then towards the end of high school I sort of realized that that wasn't my interest and started to become more interested in in the I guess the human side of medicine really and that's that's when the interest started and it just went on from there yeah it eventually got you to the position where you are today but then after developing that interest in medicine where did you eventually go to medical school Renu? So I was, a Mon- I was at Monash University for my medical school. When I finished up at Monash, I then did my internship at St. Vincent's Hospital, which was a fantastic year. And, and I think that year was really what opened a lot of doors for me and, and really gave me a, a keen insight into the, the different surgical specialties. And that's, I, I knew I was interested in surgery towards the end of my medical school. Then it was really after that and trying the different specialties that I, that I sort of realized that urology was, was it for me. Now, when someone who says they're interested in surgery approaches you, what, what would you tell that person? How, what do they need to do to materialize that ambition while they're in medical school? So, I mean, I think it, the main thing is to realize what you're interested in. And when you're young, it can be really difficult to tell. I mean, doing rotations in units gives you a very skewed view of what the unit is all about. 
I think that the, the reason I realized I was interested in surgery was just that I loved doing procedural work. I loved, I loved interventional work really. So I loved all internet interventional specialties, you know, you gastro doing gastroscopy or cardiology doing interventional cardiology or renal doing you know putting in dialysis catheters those were the sort of things that really interested me but I think as a junior doctor it's important to get a very well-rounded experience and to really try out the things that you even think that you're not interested in to to sort of clarify for yourself what your where your true pathway is and be open to change I mean you you will I think my interest changed with every rotation that I did I've often thought that rather than um, a specialty, it's often people that inspire you to do something. In my pathway, I just, I met amazing urologists who not only did I enjoy the work that they were doing, but I also enjoyed their, their perspective on life. You know, they were all, they were well-rounded people. They, they didn't seem particularly neurotic or, you know, they, they had well-balanced lifestyles. And I think all of those things attracted me to the specialty. So I think it's, I mean, it's, it's important to get experience, but don't become too kind of narrow sighted too early. Keep, keep your mind and your options as broad as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, those are incredible words of wisdom, Renu, because as medical students, we are told this, but then might perhaps get lost in the race that is ahead of us. Being told every now and then by people such as you who have been successful is, is a great reminder for for myself and for many of our listeners today. Now, here's an interesting question for you. What's one thing that you thought was so important to you as a medical student that didn't turn out to be? Alternatively, what became important for you the longer you spent in med school? One thing that I've always focused on, not just in medical school, but just going through high school and university and in my early urology training is that I've always thought, you know, if you've got a goal, get there quickly, you know, so you sort of, you've always thought you just got to, you've got to make it to the next step, the next training program, you got to, you know, you got to think about the next job. But I think that that's not as important. I think it's more important to take your time and gain as much experience as possible. And looking back now, it doesn't matter how many years it takes you to get somewhere. All that matters is that you you know, you've experienced a, a wide variety of things and, and you'll get there in the end. And I think that perseverance is really important. It's not so much about finishing school quickly and getting through university quickly and getting a job. You know, you, you miss out on so many experiences that way. And I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is just to slow down, take your time. I was away for my fellowship training for about four years. And those are years that, you know, you can never go back to, you can only do it once. And once you finish that phase of your life, it's over. So I think that the, the training years are really precious. You, the experience you get is like, is like no other. And I think the message or the lesson that I learned is just to slow down and take your time. Yeah. I am a big fan of that lesson myself of in your race at your own pace. Yeah. Um, and if you are passionate about something, you will find ways to get back into it. Yeah. Next. You mentioned your fellowship training as well, which is as captivating as it is valuable. For a bit of background for our listeners, you completed your urology training with RACS in 2014 before going on your very own North American tour for research in female pelvic medicine in Dallas, subspecialty training in Toronto, and finally, a robotics fellowship in San Francisco. I wonder, what drove the pursuit of this string of fellowships? Do you feel one needs a combination of these to stay afloat in the current climate? 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, a lot of it kind of happens serendipitously. Um, I always thought that I, I was going to end up doing functional urology. I mean, I loved it. I loved um, functional urology and, um, you know, avoiding dysfunction. And, and as a woman, I thought that was where I could, I could really um, contribute to the field. Um, and I, I think a lot of women who go through urology training do feel that way. And so when I started out in Dallas and in Toronto, they were functional fellowships and, and they were fantastic. But just as I was considering coming back to Australia and an opportunity came up for me to go to San Francisco at UCSF for a robotics and oncology fellowship. Now I've loved oncology throughout my training as well, but it wasn't something that I was planning to do for the rest of my, my career. But this opportunity came up and, and I took it and I went to San Francisco for a couple of years and, and it was an amazing program there. And, and I, you know, not only did I learn a lot, I had some amazing female mentors who, who told me, you know, well, who taught me not just, not just the work, but also that you can be a female and still do an oncology field and still be successful in that. So it, it was a fantastic fellowship for many reasons. You raised the topic of being female in surgery, which is on the minds of all our listeners today. You would have smashed many roadblocks and glass ceilings on the way to becoming this shining representative of all the women in surgery out there today. Are there any particularly unique challenges that you have faced and what can we learn from your experience? Oh, look, I think being a woman in surgery is definitely challenging. I think being a woman in medicine is challenging, but especially in the surgical fields, it's still a very male dominated field. There is still a lot of bias within the field and it's apparent in many ways, you know, in day-to-day -day functioning, in a ward within a unit, in the operating theatres, when it comes to, you know, presenting at conferences, being on panels, being in leadership roles. I think that there's a systemic bias that, that runs through the, the medical and surgical communities. I think things are improving. And I've been very lucky to have some incredible male role models as well who have, you know, who have supported me um, throughout my career and mentored me throughout my training. But I think that it's important to have those mentors, whether they be male or female. These are sort of unique challenges that women face. When you add in family, having children on top of that, it creates an extra level of complexity. So I think women struggle to, to wade through all of these biases in their day-to-day -day fields. I think the, we are recognizing it more. You know, there's a lot of social media attention now towards discrimination against women in the workplace, especially in medicine and surgery, against manals, so male-only panels, and strongly discouraging them. Sad to see that this is still quite commonplace in this day and age, but I think slowly things are improving. And I think all women have to stand up to be counted you know, you, you really have to agitate for those roles and, you know, you have, you have to stand up and call it out. So th these are unique challenges. Now, I, as I said, I've been very lucky, but these are things that, that I, will, I will continue to fight for. Yeah, and you are in a powerful position in a way, being at the peak of your career at the moment and being able to advocate for these causes. So I don't know if I'm at the peak of my <laughs> career yet, but for me, it's, uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still learning and growing, I think. But yeah, these, these are issues that I've certainly faced in the past myself during certain rotations. And I've been on the other side where I've had, and, and even now, you know, working in units where I'm, I'm greatly supported by my male and female colleagues. And, you know, I definitely know that one is better over the other. 
as for yourself, for the young woman in the audience who might be listening to us today, or the young men listening to these messages, what is a piece of advice that you would give to them in relation to this issue? I think that if, if you have an interest and a passion, you've, you have to go after it. Don't be defined by your gender roles. Rise above all of that. And if you're a man, make sure that you include women in, in, in everything that you do when it comes to, to, to you know, to um, working, with, working in a unit, running a conference, organising talks. I think that it has to be an active thing that we do to overcome the internal bias that everyone has. You know, it's a recognized thing. And so people have to actively encourage and, and develop the, the role that women have. And for women, I think that if you, if you have an interest, you have to go after it. And, and the, the key advice that I would have is, is speak to other people, you know, get a mentor, make sure that you get, you voice your interests and ideas with other people. That, that is definitely something that, that, that helps you overcome these challenges. Yeah, the subject of mentoring is highly interesting for the incredible influence that they can have on a young surgeon or medical professional. And when you do recommend that to the listeners today, what would you tell them to look for in mentors? I think it's got to be somebody you can freely speak with who that you can kind of share your chat, your ideas, interests with somebody that you're comfortable speaking to, somebody that you can reach readily. I don't think it matters if they're male or female. I think it's just somebody that you have a connection with and somebody that kind of understands your profession. We've always heard that the comparison between, especially doctors and athletes, you know, athletes are so good at what they do because they have a coach. They have somebody who watches them, watches their mistakes advises them on how to how to correct their mistakes then looks back looks at their performance see how they are improving as doctors i think we could really use that somebody who has another perspective looks at our looks at our performance sees where our deficits are how we can improve how we can train to to be better and give us that feedback so i think mentors slash coaches i think they're they're really important so it's just it's somebody somebody that you connect with yeah I'm sure some people while listening to you today would feel that they would identify with some of the things you've done and are inspired by some of your accomplishments as well. So would you be open to mentoring people, Renu? Absolutely. Don't hesitate to contact me if, if you think that, that I could be of some help. That is great news. Now, if we move on to some of um, the later decisions you've taken in your career, I do gather that you've started your PhD at the moment. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So I started my PhD this year on advanced prostate cancer. It's connected to one of the trials that we are running at Peter Mac at the moment called the lutectomy trial. And it's looking at a novel imaging modality and basically combining it with a radionuclide treatment in treating advanced prostate cancer. And so I'm doing some, uh, mine is a combined clinical and lab-based PhD. So I'm I'm looking at some translational research in, in connection with that trial. And you explained to us the wonderful concept of compartmentalization. So you devote your Fridays to research and the rest of the time for your other commitments, which is a great example for people to follow for those people, especially looking for time management strategies. Yeah, Um, I think that's important to do. I'm not by any means uh, got the hang of it yet, but it can be very difficult to to compartmentalize clinical work and academic work because, you know, when urgent clinical work comes up, that trumps everything. But if you have somewhat of a plan, I think it helps 
in terms of trying to keep that up. Yeah. Now it does, it becomes apparent that it seems there's no end to your ambition moving from one peak to another. I'm very interested in finding out, Renu, how have your priorities changed, if at all, as you've been progressing in your career? I think things change. I mean, I, you know, work is definitely a priority for me, but it, but I, you know, I value my time with my family and my time with my friends. I think that taking care of yourself is also important. So, you know, I think keeping active and keeping fit is important. Having interests outside of medicine is important because all of those things allow you to do your work better. Uh, because it puts everything in perspective. Now, I, I'm a young neurologist, so I, you know, I'm still I'm building up my practice. And so, it, you know, it's always an uncertain time. So my routine is not absolute yet. I think that takes time to develop. And, you know, as you go along, priorities change. So at the moment, you know, juggling my clinical work and my PhD, it takes up a lot of time. So there are other things that, that, do, that do get sacrificed. When you have deadlines you need to meet, then there are things that need to be sacrificed. But Overall, I think it's important to maintain a healthy balance of work and life for sure. Yeah. And which is another reason why we are very impressed by what you do, because your engagement also extends to um, social media and podcasts. We did hint earlier that you had your own, you were a co-host of your own show. Um, How did that idea come about? Uh, look, podcasting is something that I've really enjoyed doing over the last year. So um, uh, my colleague and the head of our department at Peter Mac is Professor Declan Murphy. And, you know, he has amazing contacts all around the world. And, and all of a sudden, instead of traveling to various conferences, we were just stuck in Melbourne because of the, of the global pandemic. And, you know, we missed, we missed traveling, we missed catching up with all our friends and colleagues from around the world. And also the other the issue was there were a lot of virtual conferences, but it was, I mean, it just wasn't the same virtual conferences. And, and we just found that that social aspect of it was completely missing. And so we thought to ourselves, you know, we should, we should start this podcast, you know, not only is it a great way of catching up with with friends and colleagues and, and for me meeting some incredible um, key opinion leaders from around the world. But also you get to give out information in a very, in a fun way, in a condensed way, summarizing latest data that's been released. We often do a series of podcasts on the back of conferences that have just happened. So it's a great way of getting information out there and we keep it very casual. So we actually get to know a lot of the key opinion leaders on a personal level. So that's just just been really fun. And we do a very unedited one take version of it. And we like to keep it that way. So it's low maintenance for us, but the the work that we do is really in in securing the, the guests for each of the sessions. So We've, we've reached about 60 episodes. We have, I mean, it's, it's actually amazed us how well it's been received around the world. Half our listeners are actually outside of Australia. And we speak to anyone who has an interest in GU oncology. So whether it be urologists, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, nuclear medicine physicians who we work very closely with at Peter Mac. We've done some patient related podcasts. We've invited our incredible nurses onto the podcast so it's been a wide and varied show and it's been great fun. And Declan is, is a fantastic co-host and he really brings a lot of interest to the, the podcast series. But actually, it's been one of the highlights of the year for me. Yeah, and it is easy to see why guests would be quite comfortable to talk to you because you have a charming way of making people feel at ease while masterfully pricking their brains about their craft. 
I'm a big fan of GUcast myself, and I would definitely encourage our listeners today to give a listen to GUcast to find out about all things urology, but also just to hear from two very accomplished people what their journeys have been like so far. We just broadcast our guests, really, but that's very kind of you to say. And if anyone has any ideas or suggestions or criticisms, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We love getting new ideas for, for episodes and, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, it is undeniable that you see the value of social media and alternative forms of education in medicine these days, perhaps fueled by the pandemic that made us stay at home, but hopefully useful for the future as well. Yeah, I think this is definitely one one thing from the pandemic that we will take on into the future with us. Yeah. Now, time does slip by when you Mm -hmm. have enjoyable conversations. We do, however, have a couple of reflective questions in closing that I was very keen to get your perspectives on, Renu. Question number one is, have you ever felt like you've failed at something? And what happened? How did you deal with it? I think that Failure is something that it's no stranger to anyone who undergoes medical or surgical training. So there are certainly times when I have felt like I haven't performed to, I mean, really living up to to my expectations. And my attitude towards failure is that, you know, take a while to mourn it. Certainly it's, you know, failure is a, is a difficult thing to to you know, come to grips with, but then take your lesson from it. And it's the only way to move forward from failure is, is taking a few points that you can learn from that experience and either do differently next time or never repeat next time. And I think if you take those lessons away from that experience, then it no longer becomes a failure. So I know that sounds very cliche, but I really do do believe in that. And it's the one thing that helps you move on from, from those experiences. I love hearing that, Renu. Now, perhaps our last question for today would be, could you tell us about someone who's had a significant influence on your career and what did you learn from them? I've probably had people in my in a professional setting that have influenced my career significantly and people in from my personal sort of setting who have influenced my career significantly. I've got a few key mentors throughout my career who have, who have certainly help to shape my career and opened up opportunities for me and you know uh, there are lots that I, I could name but you know the, the key ones really Damien Bolton who's the head of our unit at the Austin Hospital Nathan Laurenchuk who's now head of the unit at the Royal Melbourne and Declan Murphy who obviously you know head of the unit at Peter Mac all three of them have, they've sort of been like big brothers to me, really. They've always had my back throughout my training and career, and I owe a lot to them. On the personal side of things, my mum has always been a career woman, and she's always been a very driven woman who has never conformed to gender roles or social expectation. And she has always inspired me in the way that she's risen above all of that. And I, you know, I take a lot of strength and courage from her and she's my biggest, she's my biggest fan. She's my biggest support. And she's always the one that I go to in a time of either personal or professional difficulty and always the one who can turn around and, you know, even say a harsh word to snap me back into reality and make me realize what the next step is that I need to do. So she is the positive influence in my life and, and continues to be. 
And I'm sure I'm very positive that you will love hearing this. So you can recommend the podcast to your mom. <laughs> yeah. Now we are at the end of our conversation today, everyone. I have to say, Renew, it has been my utmost pleasure to talk to you today. I'm so grateful for your time and contribution. And on behalf of our whole team, we wish you good luck in your own endeavors. Thank you so much, Ganesh, and congratulations to you guys. I'm so impressed at the, the professionalism that you guys display in your podcasts, and uh, you've certainly got a new fan for your podcast series, and, and we'll give you a shout out on GUcast as well. Congratulations and great work to the whole team. Beautiful. Thanks, Renu. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'd love to hear what you think, so leave us your comments and questions on our Facebook and Twitter pages at TTO Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to receive your regular dose of the Time app. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the Medical Indemnity Protection Society and the Department of Surgery at the University of Melbourne for their continual support. Special thanks to the outgoing team, Jason, Alex and Karen, for their outstanding work last year. This episode was brought to you by Ganisht, Aidan, Chloe and Noreen, and we'll see you next time.